You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the Comedian's Comedian, the only podcast about comedy. And today it's a very embarrassed podcast. This podcast is very naughtily and shamefacedly admitting that it's been sitting on this episode with Anne Edmondson for over a year. I'm very sorry to Anne for my ineptitude and ability to uh, put this out on time. Uh, sometimes that just happens. I've got uh, I've got one left over from Just for Laughs last year as well with the brilliant uh, K. Trevor Wilson. And uh, that's, I mean, when's that coming out? Soon, I hope. But um, sometimes lots of other time-sensitive podcasts get in the way. And, uh, and people end up getting bumped back and occasionally lost and refound. So enormous apologies to Anne and congratulations on her nomination for the Barry Award at the Melbourne Comedy Festival Just Gone. Um, this is a really fun interview. She's so much fun. She's so talented. And I was gutted not to be in Melbourne this year uh, to watch a, a, a really, I mean, I don't know how to describe a new creation of Anne's, uh, which I won't go into detail here, but I, I'm hoping she's coming to the Edinburgh Fringe this year. I'm not sure if she is. Um, she has a TV show in Australia called The Edge of the Bush, which is no doubt taking up lots of her time as well. So nonetheless, if you get the chance to see Anne Edmonds uh, any, in any hemisphere, pick a hemisphere, uh, I really recommend you see her. This is the fabulous Edo. Let's start. <laughs> we met each other backstage at the gala. Yes. And I think, did we meet at the previous night at Catfish, was it? I saw you at Catfish oh, yeah, doing that's that right. set. Yes, you but were I, there. I was jet lagged and all over the yeah. place. Yeah, but you were funny. Thank you. Yeah. You were fucking great. Your uh-huh. gala set was great as well. It's, oh, it's such a, I mean, it's really exciting for me to come and meet a load of acts and see a load of acts that I've never seen before. Mm. I, I would, I've got to stop asking people what kind of, comedy they do i mm. want to kind of flesh out what it is you do for for the listener who may not have seen you it seemed to me that you specialize in kind of it's stand-up but it's stand-up through the lens of a kind of menagerie of grotesques yes that you embody very well mm. like you're a proper you're like a a character observation list yes so if i'm telling a story i'm i'm going to uh, and, and all of my bits are stories. They're longer. They're longer. I've, I've rarely got just one joke. You know, when they, they ask you to do a joke in a magazine, I've never got one. I've always got a five-minute story. And in that story, I'll always take on the, the characters. Rather than just say, this happened, I'll embody the character rather than just talk about what went on. That's yes. my preferred method. Yeah. Yes. And how long have you been doing it? Comedy? Yeah. It's about nine years now. I started quite late. So I'm I'm 38. So I started when I was about 29. So um, yeah, about nine years. And where are you in the? God, I almost said firmament there. Pantheon. What's the word? Where are you in comedy? Where you are? Where are you in Aussie comedy? Are you like a headliner in clubs or whatever? I mean, because yeah. I know there's not so much a circuit here. I know no. there are clubs, clubs obviously, but everyone has. Everyone seems to have a wildly different. You need to be much more of a portfolio performer over here, I think. Yeah. Rather than someone yeah. who can just 
float around the circuit. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm I'm probably still I would say I'm still considered a newcomer, like a you know a new comic, um, and I'm sort of at the level now of not having to worry about selling tickets at festivals. So that's nice. And is it, is, it, is it fair to say that the festivals kind of, it seems to me, or maybe this is true, it seems to me that the festivals, if you have a good run of festivals for however many months, there's three months, mm. that kind of pays your rent for the rest of the year. It, it can do in Australia, yeah. Like if you can sort yourself out in festival time. and then, But you sort of, in Australia, you sort of need the, t- the TV. The TV gives you a real boost. I mean, I've been on the circuit now, the festival circuit for seven years, and, and I think that... You know, turning up every year, but you do a little bit of TV presence in Australia goes a long way. You suddenly jump significantly, you know, like you jump double the seats or something with a okay. little, just a little bit of telly. Okay. Yeah. And what's your, I'm, I'm familiar, I saw your show in here mm. a couple of weeks ago and uh, I saw you at the goal, obviously. I'm aware that you've done lots of other exciting uh, stuff, including uh, your own sitcom. Yes. Character sitcom, which yeah. you've been developing today. Yes. No, so I've already shot that and we had a launch of it on Monday. Okay. So that's going on the telly later in the year in Australia. So that's a multi-character. I play four different characters in the same show. So I've been working on that. <laughs> someone told me the, the, the sit, the, someone told me the, the pitch, the situation, which is that it's a, a calisthenics dynasty torn apart by yeah. incest. Yeah. Fuck, I love every <laughs> word in that sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you have calisthenics in the UK? Uh, no, aerobics, is that the same thing? It's sort of this, it's actually, I think it was invented here. It's a combination of dance and gymnastics. It's this bizarre, okay. and there's a lot of sequins and a lot of eight-year-olds with fake tans and makeup, full faces of makeup. It's a bizarre little world. Um, so it, it's, it's situated in that world. But it's all about what, what went on in the past to cause a family breakdown, which I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with, I guess, the psychology of people. Like every character I embody or take on, I'm, I'm, they're all often dark characters and it's often, I'm often interested in what's happened to them in the past. It's big for me. Okay. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I think I just, like, I think I just, well, I just, I, I just feel like everybody's got something dark going on. Like, and my favourite thing is to look at happy people in particular and people who particularly are presenting a facade of happiness and, and try and sniff out what their insecurities might be or what could have gone wrong in their lives. And I don't, I don't know where that morbid, <laughs> horrible... <laughs> I'm like, no one's true... I guess because I'm not truly happy. I'm like, no one could be truly happy around here, surely. Surely everybody's, ca- like, got some demon going on. Okay. Yeah. And when, at, at what point did you become, did you start to have a sense that that was your idiom? Yeah, I think probably my show two years ago, I really switched, not switched, but this stuff that had been coming on for a while, this sort of dark character stuff really kicked in because that show was about, it was about my own happiness and the, the, the desire, like the pressure to be happy. In, as opposed to sad, like happiness is more important than sadness, which it, it, not, not, it's not necessarily the case. Like sadness is as important as happiness. So that was what that show was about. And through that show I talked about myself, but then I started, then I looked into everybody else as well. I was okay. like, see this, it, it, it appears this way, but it's not. And when you say everybody else, do you mean in terms of the characters in that show? Yes. Or? So that show was based on a lot of eavesdropping where I... <laughs> Where I'd hear like one or two, it actually followed on from a blog I'd been writing where I'd hear a sentence in a cafe or something and then uh, just that one sentence I'd run away with a whole story about 
how those, particularly like two people had arrived in the cafe together, what's gone on. And normally it's misery. So um, Normally it's misery that you're interpreting from the yes. actual situation. Yes. So like it could that's be, the reason it catches your ear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it might be something like, um, oh, no, if you don't want to come tonight, that's fine. I'm happy to go on my own. Just something as simple as that, which may, may just be as simple as that. But for me, that just opens up a whole... I don't know, area of what, you know, like you're not really happy to go on your own. You really wanted them to come. You know, all those sorts of things. Yes. And that's what I'm, I'm fascinated by. Little snippets from ordinary people, I guess. And how does that differ from what you started off doing? And, and before, before we get to that, let's just, how did you bring yourself to comedy? You started late. What, yeah. was, your, what was your first step into... I actually started as in character comedy and I was living up in Darwin in the north of Australia and a friend of mine was getting into comedy and she said, let's pitch some sketches to the ABC up there, which was a bit of a wild idea. And we did and they took us up on it, which was... Like that's such a weird first experience. You know, most people pitch (laughs) for like eight years. I was like, I haven't done comedy before and I'd like to make sketches. And they were like, all right. Wow, why? Why was that? The strength of the pitch or the I think more just being in Darwin and no one having... No one doing anything like that up there ever. So probably just the ABC had some spare cash, and they were like, "Oh, all right, have a go." So we did, and that my so my first experience was r- performing a character that I'd written in a sketch, which as soon as I did it, I went, "Oh, like I had a light bolt, like lightning bolt kind of moment about my life." Okay. Yeah, and went, "Oh, that's what oh, I get it now. This is what I'm supposed to be doing." And who had you been up until that point? I had just, you been kind of. Did you get the sense there was something yes. not there? Yes. So I was working in like office jobs and for the government and doing jobs like that. But but before, like I, I've always written music, so I was doing a bit of that. And then I was also, I, yeah, I had this sense that something there was something more I had to do, but I didn't understand what it was. And was that frustrating? Were you happy at the time, or were no? You, did I remember it make you unhappy. I remember being quite discontent with what I was doing, but not under, not really understanding why if that makes sense. Yeah, just being like, uh, this life I'm leading isn't... I'm not doing anything with my life, I guess. And had you had any kind of forays into performance at school or anything like that? Um, not really, but I'd been, like, at, at Christmas time and stuff like that in my family, I'd always... I was always offering up performances, like, even just piano. Like, I played the piano, so I'd, I'd make everyone stop and listen to me playing the piano and then... I did go into it. I was in a women's choir in my early 20s and then the music as well. Like I'd, I, had an, I had performance urges, I guess, const, like often. Mm. And you were aware that something was missing from life, not necessarily... I mean, were you kind of watching comedy and thinking, oh, that's, I should be doing yeah, that? Yeah, a little it... bit. Like I'd always watched... Well, I'm a, you know, I'd always watched comedy like on the telly, my mum... And I used to sit up till quite late watching a lot of UK comedy, actually, like French and Saunders and people like that. And so I had, I had this idea from that 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 was a valuable thing to do with your life, comedy. Like I, that I had got that sense from my mum that that was an important... Because of her love for those yeah, shows. Yes, yeah. That's a lovely way of putting it, yeah. a valuable thing to do with yeah, your life. Yeah, yeah, like that, that, that would, that's a worthwhile pursuit, I guess. Um, and then I remember seeing a show in my early 20s in the comedy festival called Brian Munich and Friends, which was a sort of surreal sort of comedy, character-based comedy that I hadn't seen before. And I remember thinking, that's, that's one of the best things you could do. I remember thinking that in the pub afterwards, having a drink. I was like, that's, that would be an amazing thing to do. 
it's interesting those um those the way of talking about that valuable that would be the best thing to yeah, do they're yeah. all very positive mm. it sounds like that's coming from a very positive place like wanting to go towards the light rather than away from the darkness you know yeah, what I mean? in terms yeah, of like yeah. the origin of a lot of comics it's like oh it's miserable and i wanted some sort of escape route. yeah whereas actually that's quite refreshing to hear someone go these things all sounded and yeah looked good well i thought that uh, i thought comedy was a value yeah I, I placed value on it i guess as a as an important thing to do so when you first did your character, who was, mm. who was that first character? Her name was Raylene the Racist. <laughs> and it was a sketch about... It, it was a sketch I wrote having watched on the news a, um, a, a rural town getting angry at um, local Muslims for trying to build a mosque and r- trying to run them out of town, basically. And the sketch was about... Imagine you got ran out of, run out of town for being a racist. So it was about her, because Darwin's quite a racist place. It was about a woman who'd moved to Darwin, fled Melbourne, which is too left-wing for Darwin because of her racist tendencies. Okay. Yeah. And it kind of went, went quite viral. Yeah, that's already, I mean, that's nuts for me to, to think that, like, your first yeah. foray into it went viral. It's like, your crazy. first thing, someone picked it up and put it on telly, and then it went viral. It went like, viral. straight off, that's nuts. And I didn't know really quite how to cope with it because it was, a lot of people thought, in particularly in America, that it was real. So suddenly I was having my first ever comedy experience and about 70,000 people had seen it. Jesus, and And presumably left comments on it and abuse. Yeah, Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff from the word go from day one. Yeah, so I was kind of in my – I remember hiding, I reckon, for about a week and just being like, what have I done? Like I guess I hadn't thought through yet the – what the fallout of comedy could be. Yeah, why would you? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting way to start. Mm. And what was the what? So what were the next steps from that stage? How did it then so? I then there was only so much I could do in Darwin, and I started looking into some you know ca- comics that I really liked, and realised that all of them had done live comedy, and that live comedy was something pretty important. So I came back to Melbourne, came home, and hit the well did raw comedy, which is our, like, sort yes. of, I don't know what you've got in the UK. Uh, so you think you're funny. Yeah. It's a similar. Yeah, or they're, 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 they're tied together somehow. Those, right. Those, yeah. So I did that and I just started, I just hit the open mic circuit and just started and then realised, then found, a, like, a love of stand-up comedy that I didn't know was there either. So. And talking about a menagerie of grotesques, how did you find the open mic circuit? <laughs> well, it was interesting to be actually 30 at that point, or 29, because it's a very demoralising process to suddenly be, put yourself at the very bottom of a barrel and to go around to open mic rooms, having, you know, I I had proper jobs for the government, well-paid jobs that I quit and was suddenly in rooms begging for open mic time. But you quit before you were open micing? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, no, 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 No? sorry. I I would, no, I'd have, I'd sort of stay part-time and do... But, yeah, but to be going around saying, hi, I'm Anne, can I have a spot? And they'd be like, yeah, and come back in six weeks. And very um, yeah, I humbling, st- isn't it? I started when I was around 27, I think, yeah, right. something like that. And, yeah, that was enough enough that I'd go to a student gig feeling like, hey, they're young, I'm young. Oh, I'm not young. No, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's interesting. it was an interesting time. It was a bit... And what kind of material... Did you walk straight on... When you said into stand-up, were you... 
weaving together stand-up and characters, or were you going on entirely in character, or did you use Raylene yeah. on stage? What was the what was the starting point of the I lifestyle? think I tried to do it as characters a couple of times to start with, which was a big ask, um, and then went right back to doing story-based stuff. So sort of very um, – the stories that I already had on rotation with mates, th- those kind of stories became my stand-up. So I started doing very personal kind of just anecdotal stuff. And what was the first one of them that you thought, hey, this is this – is, what, mo- what was your first reliable closer as a newer actor? Oh, I actually one about um, uh, and, and having a new boyfriend and not being able to – use the toilet and then shitting my pants in front of him. <laughs> Old faithful. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> so, yeah, clever stuff. Yeah, that's a useful <laughs> way of passing the information here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so that was a reliable kind of a closing yeah. bit. Yeah. And you're not, you're clear, I mean, you know, your show, your show is excellent and the stuff I've seen of yours on YouTube is excellent. I, I was watching earlier today the... Um, your set from Sydney last year. Oh, the, yeah. The come in the mouth Yeah, stuff. a bit rude, isn't I it? I mean, it's a bit rude, but <laughs> what is, I don't, you know, I, I insist that anyone listening to this who's thinking, oh, it might not be my sort of thing, give it a go. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, um, it's not gross out stuff. The, the, there's, something re- there's something genuinely unique about your delivery, particularly in that moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to talk about come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine that. Ugh. Like that, you kind of, you're able to sort of, do the the material, and then one of the parallel tracks of the material is comment on commenting yeah. on the material. But it's like the commenting on the material is even more real than the material. Mm-mm-mm. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's artifice. It doesn't feel like it's contrived. It mm. feels like it's genuinely you going. Yeah, I know. I, I know. It's a weird choice. Yeah, yeah. And there's something very you about that. There's yeah, like a particular quality you have that is that is to do with your connection with the audience. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know. It's not really a question, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I, I somehow feel like even those subject matters are disgusting, <laughs> that I have a distance. Like I, I think that delivery of like, I oh, know, I'm going to tell you this. I, I'm, you know, it's almost like, sorry, I'm coming out. I can't help it. Gives it a, I don't know, removes the, it doesn't. It, it's that, not icky somehow. No, I don't, like and I don't know either, but I, I don't feel that it's icky. And, I, and it is, but I, I don't feel that it's icky when I'm saying it for some reason. It's weird, yeah. I want to. I want to just talk a little bit more about that because that's a really fascinating sort of an uh, an idea that you're able to without disavowing the material. Yeah. You're not going. You're not going. Oh, this is horrid. Yeah, yeah. It's just something about. It's not quite that. It's matter of fact. It's there's just. I'm trying to think of a bit from your show the other night that might. Can you mm. think of any like a similar equivalent from your from your current show? Current show where I'm. Um, yeah, I um. I guess, I, I mean, there's a whole bit in there which is quite gut-wrenching about uh, uh, keep f- falling in love with the same man. Yeah. Um, and, and it's about um, I keep falling in love with, the, with guys who don't want relationships and yet I sign up, you know, I sign yes. up for them over and over again. But I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's something about telling people like that, like, I know. Yeah. yeah you know, like, <laughs> I, I'm aware. It, 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 it removes the... Um, it's like how you tell anything, and I remember. But I remember telling when when I had to tell it the first few times, like this particular show when I did it for the first time in Adelaide, I got quite a few messages afterwards saying from mates saying, "Are you okay?" Because when you deal with dark subject matter, you do have to have a certain dis- a certain performance distance where you 
you get to know the material and then you can deliver it rather than be feeling it, if that yes. makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And um, I think that there might be something in that as well is that it's, it's, it's not a play that you're delivering because stand-up's very different, but it's like a, it's I'm okay now. It's like you've dealt with it. I'm okay now with this and yes. I'm just telling you about it. Isn't, isn't that funny that I've been doing that as opposed to, God, you know, yes, I'm still in pain here. I absolutely agree with you. And yet there is also something in your show at the moment. You're talking about your currently or apparently currently disastrous relationship yeah. status yes. and those mistakes. And it, you're able to place yourself in it right now Yes, whilst we sort of get that there's sort of... in not inverted commas around the pain of it. Yeah. But we're sort of okay with yeah. you and we're not, we're not worried about no. you. Yeah, and that's important because, you know, earlier on in my career I think and, you know, earlier on in a run of a show I can sometimes that line can be a bit unclear and, and there's nothing worse for an audience I think than, than sitting in there going, is she all right? Like yeah. you want to be out. Like I want to deal with that stuff because – for me, that's the greatest connection you can get with an audience is to delve into that area because there's people in the audience going, me too, and that's for me the most powerful thing about comedy. So I like getting into that stuff. But I also don't want people to leave the show going, oh, I don't reckon yes. she's all right. Yes. It's tricky. The, uh, one of the, the most vivid parts that I remember, because I saw it in the gala as well, the section about the family, mm. the uh, the seeing a family running together, yeah, and you know, yeah, yeah. you paint this lovely kind of shiny, squeaky, inflated uh. picture of this awful, happy family. Yeah, is that a reflection of your own family situation? Is like, is the family that you come from problematic, such that yeah. your your like there's something really cathartic like you said there's a lot of people going oh god those people are awful yeah yeah in yeah. the audience mm. and i guess part of that is to think oh god wouldn't it be nice if i had a family yeah, like that? yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. like there's kind of both things going on well no i think my family i've, I've got a quite a nice family like an, a good childhood but a very normal family in terms of you know fights and not even fights but just you know normalness not trying to present something to the world that isn't real. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, again, it's just that obsession I have with things that look perfect. Yes. And I just, I, anything that looks perfect to me, I'm going to investigate it. So to what extent are you confined by the reality of the situation? If you see some, if you mm. overhear, if you eavesdrop and you hear mm. something, presumably that's the starting point for then a kind of an imaginative yes. journey. yeah. And a lot of my stuff is... A lot of my stuff is based in, you know, I'm, I'm sure this podcast is like, you, do you give away tricks on this podcast? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's the only reason it exists. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, a lot of my stuff is, you know, as with most comics, is, is, the, is the kernel of something true. And then you're, and I've got a very active imagination. Um, so always my stuff is, is where my mind went with what that family is actually like or, um, you know, what's actually going on for somebody. So it's always a little bit the, the truth followed by my imagination taking off. And the characters as well are, uh, are aren't their creations too. They're not direct rip-offs of anybody. It's, it's a sentence or two I've heard combined with someone I've seen combined with something else that merges into to a person, I guess. One of the things 
I was most struck by in terms of the sort of the, not just the glee of your, there's, there's two things, I'm, I don't know which order in which to talk about them. One is the double denim dirty daddy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so you do an amazing act out of, uh, the, the story is that there was this super squeaky clean yes. family and it turned out that he had a secret family. Yeah. The daddy had a secret family somewhere else. He's a dirty yeah, double, double daddy. Double daddy, right. So then you've got your, and then that kind of dovetails into an impression of a kind of uncle on the dance yeah, floor, yeah. flicking your bra strap. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in a really horrible kind of a yeah. way. Now, that is... There's something about... I th- that's where I'm going with this. The end line of that routine is, men are rank. And, and I know I had to run out of your show in the last five minutes in order to go and do my show the yeah, other night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I believe that... I mean, you said in your Facebook message, you said, oh, it's just me ranting about men. <laughs> there is something really refreshing i guess in your specific take on men mm. because it doesn't seem to be a politicized take no. on men and feminism mm. and yet it is really it feels really grassroots grassroots feminism it's quite an earthy sort of yeah this is disgusting fucking shut up Do you yes. know what I mean? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah 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 and i think that's because i i feel like you know i mean there's feminism in a in the bigger sense with the theory and the you know and the broader political discussions about feminism but for me feminism comes is become is much more personal than that and it's about the day-to-day kind of grind of men uh being able to push forward with what they want to do and with the confidence that they're given by by birth versus women's women and their like self-analysis and their like self-doubt and that for me is the key and I guess that that probably that's probably come from being within the comedy scene, you know, and with and looking around at what's going on around me, um, and the struggles that I've had or other female comedians have had versus this sort of inherent confidence that feels it, that it exists. I mean, my male comic friends will probably say, "You don't know what you're talking about," but it's a sort of that's for, that's for me is the main is the battleground is that very interpersonal stuff. So. Can you talk to us about that final, the final routine, the mm. bit that I missed? I mean, partially because I'm just keen to know what yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's about me dealing with a, um, a guy that comes up to me after a show who's it's – quite, it's, it's quite long, but it's about an aggressive um, punter who in Australia I see all the time different versions of this guy. Is like, and he came, he came up to the male comic standing next to me. He's like, you're the funniest fucking comedian in Australia – and it's this male aggression that I, f- I feel regularly. Um, and it's not coming from the male comics. I think that's a misconception in, in, the, com- in the broader community about the comedy industry that, there's, that it's the male comics. I, I don't feel that. I feel on an equal footing with them. It's really, it's really the audience who I have, who I have an issue with. So I, I talk about this particular punter and then I talk about the sort of people that go and see Jim Jeffries and the aggression that I've seen in those audiences. Um, yeah, and the kind of... The, this weird feeling at the moment that these white male, males are oppressed by something. And who knows? Uh, no one can put their finger on what it is that they're oppressed by, but they seem angry and oppressed. Yes. And it's fascinating. Yes. it's um, Well, I, I think for my... Heart, I think, and I certainly didn't coin this phrase, 
and I keep forgetting it every time it comes up on the show, so I've got to think about what the phrase is, but when you're conditioned, when you're accustomed to privilege, then equality feels like oppression. Yes. And yeah. I think that's what's happening at the moment Mm-mm. in terms of people... People are getting called out on their privilege, mm. and as a result, they're going. I don't feel privileged. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not getting any special treatment. Yeah, you're like, well, I have to course. go to work every day. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, you do, but you also don't suffer when mm. you're at work every day from the same yes. institutionalized mm. things that other people do, mm. or that women do, or that non-white people do. Mm. And it's. Do you feel there's? Do you feel there's kind of a cultural context in comedy at the moment of? that realisation being dealt with? Well, yeah, I guess... Because it, it feels relevant. Your stuff feels culturally yeah, relevant. I guess it's, 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 the, it's the current environment. It's the Trump... It's Trump, I guess, that's led to this. It's, you know, it's that, it's that him winning that election that's really just, I guess, triggered, triggered me into doing it, I guess. And a lot of, I, I, you know... I, I'm hearing a lot of stuff from female comedians at the moment along the same lines of dealing. But I'm particularly interested in this the male aggression. I, find, I, I feel it. I feel it coming off audience members. And is there a... Do you feel that when you're on stage or exclusively after shows or both? Um, not, not, not when it's my own show, not at all, not, not anymore. Um, I feel it out touring most, mostly and mostly in, to be honest regional Australia or outer out suburban kind of city areas. Not always, but um, and I also just feel it. I mean, last year I did a, a um, group show with a couple of comics called The True Australian Patriots. Yes, I've seen a couple of yeah, your YouTube yeah. little, you know, trailers for the show, but yeah. everyone was raving about the show and I'm uh, sorry I didn't see that. Yeah, but that certainly exposed me to... Um, this segment of male anger in... I mean, this is an extreme version of it. This is neo-Nazis. But this sort of, yeah, white male something's gone wrongness. Yeah. I guess you'd call it. Yeah, yeah. kind of white male rage. Yeah, it, really? yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's something I, f- I feel and I'm fascinated by. Mm. So did you feel... Did you feel kind of threatened? Did you feel under threat by the by the kind of online reaction to those? A little bit, yeah. It, once it kicked off and once we were doing the live show, there was some, yeah, there were some days when I was like, am I going to be walking along and a van's going to pull up? Because, you know, the, the original, the, the, the actual patriots who we were um, mocking did find out about it. So so that's an actual, that's a specific group? Yeah, there were, was. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, um, I can't remember their names. The True Australian... No, we were the True Australian Patriots. They were called the uh, something P- Patriots Front or something like that anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you regret doing that? No. Was it, was it worth... In terms of the fear, was it worth... I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? Because there shouldn't need to be the fear. That. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's yeah. not a sort of price that you should have to pay. Yeah. No, I don't regret it at all. No, no. It was a... It was... No, I'm happy I did it. Yeah, it... it that... Yeah, to shine a light on that kind of, and also com- comedy-wise, it's gold. Like it, they they they're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one of the videos. Someone said someone in a I, I may I may later retract this this line of reasoning because I don't want to make a habit of referring to YouTube comments. Like ignore everything under the line. I know, but someone said it was um, someone accused you 
oh, look, you, the three of you, mm. of cultural appropriation. All oh, right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Almost yeah, like yeah. you're stealing our dumbness. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. You sort of think, at what point do you, like, that's one of the most frustrating things is, that, and Pat Oswalt has described this very well in his latest Netflix special. He's got an excellent bit about how people use the code words. You yeah. Know, the, 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 let's not call them the bad guys, but people who are extremist right wing. Yeah. yeah. Bad guys. You know, they're starting to learn the code words. Mm. So they're going, oh, well, I'm triggered by your trigger. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. Kind of, so to, to accuse you of like a cultural appropriation mm. because you're doing a character that is a white Australian woman. Sup- white supremacist. A white yeah. supremacist. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's terrifying. It's yeah. kind of hilarious yeah, and, it is. and yeah. scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Anne. Really good fun to talk to her. Huge fan of her work. She has such a... She's one of those people you can hear in the way she talks about her act that she's very kind of blasé about it. Oh, you know, I just do this. But she is just such a grab bag of talent. She's very, very skilled, really funny writer and has a really fresh and original voice. So we'll get back to Anne in just a second to hear more from her. Now, you, possibly you, but certainly lots of people like you, have been signing up to become recurring donors to the show in order to access the secret private pod... I've got to stop calling it the the secret podcast. It's a private podcast feed. Every time I say it's a members-only private podcast, it sounds like it has adult content, which is absolutely not the case. But if you go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate, then you can join up and get access to extra content from previous guests that did extra content. That's now the only place to find that, uh, including people like Dara O'Brien, uh, James Acaster, Sarah Millican from her very first appearance. And there's some even more stuff from uh, Tez from that very interesting interview that uh, we released a couple of weeks ago. So you can do that. But there are also lots and lots of other things, including Comedy Critique, uh, where so far Mike Sheldon and Neil Harris, uh, newer acts, have both been subjected to or have both enjoyed uh, the critique of not only myself, but other members of the ComCom pod community. Uh, and basically is a sort of a reflexive process where they uh, I put a bit of their material out on the private podcast and then we all get together and say hopefully helpful things about it. That's been working really well uh, and we've got a new one coming up with newer act Charlie George as well to look forward to. So uh, there's those. There's also my own Edinburgh Festival philosophy nuggets, <laughs> philosopher nuggets. I'm, I'm badly in need of a rebrand. I'm badly in need of sitting down and working out what to call any of these things and picking uh, and sticking to a thing. But at the same time, you know, maybe it's fine to just let them be loose for the moment while we work out what they are. There's lots of other bits and bobs on there as well, um, including, of course, and for the first time ever, an episode of Redacted the extremely private, not-for-public-broadcast live show is now being broadcast, but not to the public, just on the private RSS feed. So, comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate, and you can get to hear uh, a fabulous secret episode with some secret guests recorded at the Secret Welsh Comedy Festival. So if that isn't enough to tempt you over to the, the dark side, I don't know what is. Philly Boots, please, get stuck into that. Uh, You can, of course, still make occasional one-off donations to the show, but it kind of makes more sense to become a member, set up a little tiddly recurring donation that just drips away in the background. You wouldn't even notice it and get lots of extra stuff for the privilege. And finally, I I want to say thank you to everyone at the Secret Welsh Festival that came along to a huge room for me to sell it out uh, for my tour show, for Like I Mean It. There are a mere 25 to 30 versions of that show left 
uh, in the run and uh, they've been really good fun. So if you are anywhere in Britain and you're near one, comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour will give you all you need to know. Coming up soon, uh, Shrewsbury, Swindon, Farnham, Southampton and plenty more places besides, including a great big swathe of shows in the north as well as Glasgow and Edinburgh. So get on that tour page and uh, come along and see the show that the critics are referring to as Goldsmith knocks it out of the park. That's very satisfying to see that in the Sunday Times culture section. So thank you to the man that wrote that. Now, that is all for this bit. Let's get back to the brilliant Anne Edo Edmonds. Tell me a bit more about... Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get the title of your show wrong. Mm-hmm. Remind me of the title of. No your... offense, none taken. No, no, no. Sorry, your uh, your TV show. Ah, oh, the edge of the bush. The edge of the bush. There yeah. you go. I thought it was. I thought I thought I'm going to be careful with this. <laughs> so, are you? Is that your first experience of making your own material? You wrote it. Yep. Played all the parts. I played four the four main characters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, that was my first ever. TV show, yes. So, I mean, I've been involved in telly projects, but this is my creation. So, I. Yeah. And how, for how long have you been trying to get it made? Is it a. Um, well, sort of very, you know, like really in Australia, we have the ABC and not much else in terms of place avenues for comedy. So, I guess I've been in discussions with them, you know, for maybe three or four years in terms of let's make something and me, you know, you sort of pitch something and that's not quite the right time or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I, I I can't remember when I actually started. I maybe was writing it for a year or something like that, and then got it got it made, got some money. Yeah. And is there a is there a sense? Uh, certainly, is something I and I, I always come back to this example. But I saw an inc- a brilliant sketch show at uh, the Edinburgh Festival years ago, a British sketch show called Cowards, who then went on to have three fifteen minutes made as a mm. kind of a semi pilot, semi series. Yeah, yeah. It was absolutely brilliant oh, people cool. will probably find it out there somewhere and then that didn't go on to get a full series right. and that at the time I remember thinking I am not going to bother writing anything because yeah, that yeah, can't that get can't, made yeah. I mean presumably there's an equivalent thing over here in terms of there must be a huge number of very talented people yes. trying to get stuff made getting all the way doing all the work and then not having it happen yeah I mean we don't we yeah I mean we just got so few opportunities here as I said the ABC is really it so, yeah, there's only a, a select... I mean, my thing is only is five 12-minute episodes. Okay. Um, and I think if, you are, if you're willing to not... If you're not going after the half-hour sitcom uh, idea, which, you know, could take... Could be on in 2020 or something mm. if, you're, if you're going down that road. Um, if you, you know, if you think about something different that's smaller and more manageable, then you've got more hope, I think, especially for a first project. And when it comes to writing, when it came to writing mm. that show, did you, was it in development with people, were other people contributing ideas and kind of going, no, no, you should, you, did you have that kind of level of production yeah. producers going, I think it should be four people, not three people? No, I, I basically, you know, like, because, I mean, you could sit around and wait till you've actually got a contract signed and the money in your bank account. But I just... I, I, they sort of said, yeah, we, we're going to make something with you. And so I just wrote it. I just went away and sat. I genuinely just wrote it in the library on my own. How long did uh, it take? Oh, you said a year. Well, no, not really. I mean, the actual writing of it, the first draft, probably took a month or something like that. Um, but, yeah, the, the whole process of editing and re-editing and things like that. Once I got on a stream of writing it, I really – it just all came out in sort of one – 
spew. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, like I, I don't know. It's um, That's how I did it, yeah. can't remember. Sorry, I've forgotten the original No, that's question. all right. The original <laughs> question was very vague, I'm sure. But talk to me then about what the difference in that experience of writing stand-up. Do you yeah. sit down to write your stand-up? Do you sit down at a laptop or a notebook and write stuff or are you... Not really with stand-up. I'm, I'm more of a um, dot point. I'll often have ideas out and about and then I do have to sit down at least and write them into dot point form, hopefully with a punchline but often not. And I'm much more of a go into the open mics and just say it type comic than a sit down and write it perfectly, memorise it. So I'll muck it, I'll get it out just on stage is the way I do things. And one of the things that's always scared me about the idea of writing sitcom or basically Mm. writing anything else Mm. is like... I've got all of this experience at writing my stuff and I've yeah. got all of the different mistakes I've made and, you know yeah, what I mean, yeah, all the, yeah. the, those like strategies for getting myself out of tight mm. spots writing-wise, that to put all of that to one side and go, oh, something completely different now, yes, I find pretty yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I mean, it, it, for me it just felt like story along, I mean, because I operate in stories really rather, and scenes, you know, a lot of my stuff is scenes rather than just... Yeah then I felt, I felt like it was a bigger version of that and a longer version of that, of, of, of my imagination. It was actually liberating just to be able to go, Bleh, like get it all. Yeah, this doesn't need to end in a punchline yeah. immediately. Yeah. Although I didn't, one thing I, in hindsight, I wrote it without knowing the ending of it. And then that was, you know, I just, I'd just move on from one idea to the next and then got to the end and worked out the ending at the end. Which I, and I'd, I'd be interested to know if that's how authors operate. I'm sure everyone operates differently. but And then I sort of had to go back to the start and work it. You Tweak know, it so yeah. it was a bit more end buried in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think, in, I think if I was doing something again, I'd, I'd try and work out the ending first and then, okay. and then start. But, I, yeah, I wonder I, – it did make me wonder about authors and whether they just – it's just a stream of consciousness or whether they sit down and go, I know exactly where this book's headed and now I'm going to write it. God, I can't imagine I don't know either. I've got one of my favourite stories about the writing process is Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Whereby they would deliberately paint Walt into a corner every week. So it was just like, yeah, let's put him in a situation he can't possibly get out of. Okay. And then 12 of us are going to brainstorm for two weeks how he could possibly get out of this. That's awesome. And then the genius of Walt is he, he makes that decision in two seconds on stage. Yeah, right. So, I don't know how that's applicable to comedy. No, no, but so, so, but in that instance, they had the they always started with the ending, because he, or no, I well, guess no, they start I, with the problem. Don't they, they start with the problem. That's they interesting. Go, let's get let's let's put a gun to his head and see how he could possibly get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I think I think something like that is good rather than a stream of consciousness. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And when it comes to actually filming the stuff, mm. when you're playing four different mm. characters and you are presumably not directing it no. yourself. No. So do you need to... How much prep time do you get to try to... Or do you get any time mm. to make sure that the director and the editor with whom you're working share your mm. vision for it? Because well, particularly with four characters, that's it. you're even more of an auteur than a general yes. sitcom writer or yeah. even someone starring in their own sitcom. Yeah. Like you absolutely... You've all got to be on the same page, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was so lucky. I had a, a Kate McCartney who... I don't know if you guys have had the catering show. No. Like viral thing. Anyway... She, I, don't, I, I say confidently as yeah, if I've watched yeah. everything in the UK, yeah, yeah. but I, I'm no. personally not familiar with it. <laughs> um, as my director, and she completely understood the vision and she also understood, because I was the creator of it, 
and the characters that I would have an equal role in. You know, we worked together beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't – there was no um, push and pull or there, there was a clear understanding of what I, I did and what she did um, and it worked quite beautifully in that way. You know, that I was on set involved in a lot of decisions and um, – but, of course, she was – she sort of – I feel like she – because she's such a visual – um, person and um, a, a bigger idea, which you have to be as a director, a bigger ideas person. She had that under control, and and the knowledge that she had that under control meant that I could concentrate on my performance. It's almost like we took we took those two roles. Yeah, like you know, because I guess when you're an actor, direction is f- direction about imp- performance is much more important. That when you're then when you're a comic actor who knows sort of what they want to, what they're trying to do. Yes. Did you have situations where she'd go, okay, go back to how you did it in the first take. That yep. was more effective. Yeah, yeah. So it was because gl- she knows what you're trying to get at. Yes, and she had the eyes on the ca- she had the eyes on the camera that I I didn't have. So she's like, oh, actually, when you you think you're doing it, you think you're conveying that, but you're actually looking off in the wrong direction and we're not even getting it. You know what I mean? Ah, so, okay. Um, so it was, a, it was an awesome experience. I was very lucky because it was a very low budget sort of fastly, you know, we didn't have much money and much time to pull it together. So if I hadn't have had someone on board who, did, you know, who didn't get it, it would have been a disaster. And were you in on the edit? Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was from day one. You went on the edit? Oh, they did. The poor thing spent... I think I went for a little holiday and they mucked together a sort of rough edit and then I came in for the next two weeks and just sat there with them and we went... And we bit... I mean, they, it was interesting. They We had an excellent editor and they already had it. They already had a lot of it, you know, in, in place when I got there. They'd already... They were all on the same page with that as well. Um, but they, they... You know, a lot of it that is in the script... If you're if you're very clear in your script as well about the vision what that you've got, I think that the, it's worth spending so much time on the scripts because it pays off. And did you were you developing the script with someone? Did you have a script editor? I had, yeah, I had Greg Larson who was also in True Australian Patriots, and another guy called John Campbell who both came in at various points and gave me. Oh, John Campbell was more in the early stages when I, I just needed to float an idea and he mm-hmm. went and he'd give me a push in you go yeah keep going or have you thought about this and then greg was more towards the end in terms of ah, like we need to cut now the budget's saying we can't have a car in this scene anymore what yeah, are we going to okay. do yeah that kind of stuff yeah okay so what is your what's your goal within comedy where would you where would you what would you like to happen with that show do you want to be making TV or movies mm. or what's, you know, what's, what's the dream scenario 10 years from now? I think, well, live performing for me has become extremely important. I think if I, you had have asked me eight years ago, I would have been like, TV show. And now live comedy to me is really important and something I don't want to stop. If, you know, I don't, I'm not one of those comics that wants to get on the telly and then, like, that'll be it for live performing. So I think it's something that... It's it's a combination of both those things. So still being able to be a live performer, and and I think the ideas that you generate in stand up and the characters, then as they did with this show, lead into the television stuff. And I think that's a very sound way of working too. In terms of audiences, are your best 
like, you know, your best judge of whether you're on the right track. So if you're already doing stuff on stage and you've got an audience laughing, you're like, okay, there's something to go with here for the TV. What aspects of your live work do you find most pleasurable? The, I think the hour-long show and having, having an audience with you for that amount of time and, and, and the pure... Like stand-up is the delivery of ideas from your head out of your mouth and an immediate reaction to, to that. And when you're in that... When you're on stage and you're in the... So present that you're just up there and so connected to the audience. That's, that's the most, that's probably the most joyful thing in the world for me, I reckon, is that presence on stage with an audience. And what, I have just remembered your, uh, at the end of your gala set, vote Trump. <laughs> <laughs> go, go Trump. Or go vote Trump, Trump. Yeah. Um, And what aspects of your live work are, what do you see as your the the bits that you could work harder on, or the bits that not work harder on, but we, are there things that elude you in stand up that you think I wish I could? Yeah, I think still like I think still the communication of maybe uh, bigger ideas that that I have that I it'll be interesting. I'll often start a run of shows with ideas that are a bit bigger or a bit deeper about the world, and then. I, they get chipped away at and and sometimes I get there's a bit in this show that's gone that I'm disappointed in myself for it go was, on I love hearing about stuff that's gone go on oh it's just a bit about um it, it's not even that it was just a bit about like social anxiety and and um committing to catching up with people and and wanting to set everyone around me free like in terms of obligations so nice. Yeah, and how that's like chipping away at the foundations of society, that kind of talk. Because society's based on people catching up under duress. That's, <laughs> that, that, those are the sort of, they, that's, but, you know, like sometimes I just, like I'll say it, if it's not getting the laughs early enough on, it'll just get chipped away at and then it'll, mm. it'll vanish. And I'll be like, mm, I like that bit. And do you think that might be because, because I've experimented with things along those lines and for me the reason they don't work is they, though, that's a real trigger for the audience to start worrying if I'm okay. Could be. And if you're not, and, and with this, this show as well, um, I, this is the, the least ever run-in I've had for a show coming into the comedy festival. I'd only done it four times in Brisbane and then arrived with it here. Compared to, you know, I've normally done a run in Perth for two weeks. And are there presumably kind of component bits of it that are up and running in clubs? Yes. Or is it all... Okay, right. Yes, and then there's these bits like this social anxiety bit that had only been said four times before Melbourne, you know, and then, Mm -hmm. yes, and and it does give that the audience that sense of, oh, is she all right with this bit? I don't know. And and also it's talking about, oh, is she all right? Yeah, so you... You go down that path and then it, suddenly it's gone from the show. It's almost like social anxiety is too... Uh, it's almost... I'm not going to call it a taboo subject, but it's like mentioning... It's almost like, you know, you can tank a gig by going, hey, is this okay? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it just yeah, it yeah. introduces a measure of doubt yes. that is actually harder to deal with than 
an inappropriate or off-color joke. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yes, you can yeah, be, yeah. you can be edgy. You can like do an abortion joke, yeah, or a yeah, rape yeah. joke, or something like that. But this is not my material. But you know, those kind of like really difficult topics that can split a room and yeah, be yeah, problematic. Yeah. And actually, those are sometimes less problematic for the sake of your relationship with the audience than doubt. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 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 and, and worry. Mm. Is there a bit of someone else's material that you wish you'd written? Is there a particular observation or a particular mm. character maybe or a particular... Do you know I'm so bad with comedy because I just... I'm not a fan of comedy, if that makes sense. Like I don't... I don't often listen to other people. <laughs> I'd be happier at a music gig or something, you know? I'm trying to think. That's, well, that's a, that's a really interesting answer in itself. <laughs> I mean, hey, there was that guy in the Ramones. Stop listening to anyone else play guitar. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, yeah, nothing. Nothing springs to. How arrogant is that? No, no, no. No one's got a. No bit. one. <laughs> yeah, no one's got a bit that's better than mine. And who but, are your? Who who do you go and see at festivals? If you go and see anyone at festivals, who are your go to? Um, I'll often see. Um, so I, I've, I'm trying to see all the other Barry nominees. So but, be polite. Yeah, to be polite, <laughs> to check it all out. Um, but I'll often, like, I'm going to go and see Richard Gadd tonight. It's always nice to see something that's not, you know, I guess I spend all year with the comics in the rooms doing stand-up and I've heard a, heard a lot of it. It's nice to go and see some cabaret or some something, something theatre-y, something that's not just the microphone and someone talking, as valuable as that is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do that, but I... I do like going and seeing madcap shit. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Not, I, I think, really like going to see something different yeah. off the wall. I saw an American comic last night called Fortune Someone. Oh, yeah. From the Headliners show. Yeah. It's just great. It's just, a, it's just a voice and a look and a style of, and, a, and an accent. Yeah, I've just never different. Heard yeah. And But I think that's a, uh, that's a comedian thing is show me something. Like we need to see something really extreme. Yes. These, you know, to make us laugh now it's like. I need to be. I need to see someone nude running around on stage or something because it's just from the word go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to see like a Doctor Brown is someone I always used to go and yeah. see. That's a common kind of comic thing. Is you just want to see something else, I guess. Mm. Are you happy? Ooh, ah, uh, you know, in comedian terms, no. <laughs> I mean, yes, <laughs> sometimes, but I am. I, I'm. I'm well familiar with the with sadness. I'm, I'm I'm right across it, so I go through, you know, I'm I'm up and down. It's not it's not clear cut for me. It's quite a roller coaster. Mm. Thanks. Thank you. So that was Anne. You can find her at Anne Edmonds One online on Twitter. You can go to her website. You can check out a lot of interesting stuff she's doing. You can see the edge of the bush. If you're in the UK, you might need to do something nefarious with a VPN in order to see that. Um, but uh, there are definitely clips available on her website, so you can uh, wet your whistle and see if that's your sort of thing. Um, I really recommend seeing her live. She's such an accomplished comedian. Really good fun to watch. So... Thank you, Joanne. Apologies once again for uh, the delay in releasing that one. Um, and more stuff coming soon. Remember, if you sign up to the private podcast feed at comedianscomedian.com slash donate, you too can enjoy Redacted, Comedy Critique, uh, Edinburgh Fringe Philosophy Nuggets. Philosopher Nuggets. God, stop saying that. Don't, on no account is anyone to use that expression anywhere. I will not let it catch on. That's hideous. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to be my 25th festival this year. So uh, I think it seemed an appropriate time to share some of what I've learned over over those 
25 years of having my mind blown by incredible things. Why don't we do this? Let's get on the uh, the Comedians Comedian Facebook group and tell me your favourite single moment or show from all of the Edinburgh festivals that you've been to. Let's do that. You can find that on Facebook. Search for the Comedians Comedian Podcast group and click to sign up and we can have a chat about it on there. So that is that for now. Um, after the horsey preamble noise, you will get to hear the thing that I recorded a couple of weeks ago uh, about basically be mooning around over the idea that I've got a second child on the way. Um, I'm sat here recording this in the baby room that currently my first child lives in, in his big boy bed. We've upgraded the bed and uh, and now he is going to, I mean, in October this year, he's going to be shunted out of this uh, while a new baby arrives where he's going to be put no idea. <laughs> Not really enough rooms in the place. I built him a little Wendy house uh, two weeks ago, so maybe we'll just pop him out there in the garden. I think he'll be happy enough. So uh, you can enjoy some rambling, post-ambling thoughts coming up. Uh, but if not, this concludes the podcast and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. And this is going to have to be a very swift post-amble because I've got to go and collect the boy from uh, from his childcare thing that he does on Fridays. And um, what will we talk about? I mean, really, my life at the moment is just, hey, did you know, did I tell you we're pregnant again? We're pregnant again. I think I I sort of alluded to it last week, but we totally are. And uh, we're due in October. So that makes this year even more of uh, a sort of going to ground. It's really weird having been through the experience of, uh, I'm not going to say been through the experience of pregnancy. I don't mean personally but been through the experience of being pregnant as a couple before, knowing a little bit what to expect. But of course, there's this total wild card of a running around two-year-old in it. This is funny. He lost his mind recently. In, uh, he were in tantrum stage, and he is now, I would say, two or three times a day having a screaming meltdown about something insignificant. And there's a very funny tumbler about this with someone, not, not my own kid, but um, someone has sort of started or has started aggregating a... a um, uh, a thing where they give the reasons, the supposed reasons for their toddler's meltdown. I can't find it now, but it's very funny. So have a have a look for that on Tumblr. Is anyone on Tumblr? Who knows? Um, but screaming meltdown in the swimming pool changing rooms for 20 minutes. Just a naked crying boy for 20 minutes. And I couldn't do anything about it because my normal tactic... Change the scenario, check to move the space, take him from one room into another. I couldn't, he was crying and wet and naked. And that had to be the one session where there was like four other dads there. So everyone was kind of looking at me and doing that kind of pursed lips, raising the eyes like, you know, there it is. It's just acknowledgement. People were just acknowledging it, not judging, which I appreciated. But nor, yeah, no one can do anything to help in that in that place. So not, not in that specific place, but in that situation, all you can do is just go, I acknowledge this. It, you know, hey, hey, we're doing this now, are we? Okay. So, um, so that's very, very exciting to think what it will be like. And part of me, obviously, there's all the love and the idea of like, I know what they turn into now. They turn into these little people that love you. It's so exciting. Also, I'm excited to go, right, new baby again. I've got new baby skills. I can do nappies. I can do all of that stuff. And of course, tiredness, epic tiredness. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Can I have a sabbatical year? <laughs> Can I? I definitely want to try and save up some money this summer and try to pay for some paternity leave, which is one of those fun things that freelance people don't get. 
Um, so it would be really nice to take some of October, all of November off, work in December and try and... If, you, if you're running any well-paid Christmas gigs or corporate engagements in December, give me a shout. Because uh, I'll be working my little pods off, not that I need them anymore, in, uh, in September. And then with a view to kind of just January or maybe even January, February, just kind of unplugging from all of it and just getting back into what last year, we, last time we termed pregnancy lockdown... I'm really relishing it. I'm so excited. It's lovely to tell you guys about it. I know I kind of mentioned it very, very briefly last episode. Um, but um, it's a really... It's such a happy thing. It's such a happy thing. And it's pretty hard, it, obviously. It's very hard and then scary and weird and then you recover. And I, I feel like there's at least a roadmap. And I know at the end of it, you get a really fun little person and... The Boutros gets to be a big brother, and well done. I think three of you separately made the joke about there being a second one, which meant which means Boutros Boutros. <laughs> so it might have to be the Boutros and the Boutros Boutros. Um, so it's ah, oh, it's so lovely. It's so lovely, and I am so I feel really. Ah, oh, I'm going to say blessed. I'm not going to say blessed, but I do. God, I feel lucky. Ah, yeah, baby times again. And then there's a big change. It's a big change mentally from being a cool couple with a kid, because you you know it's a, we're a cool couple, from being a cool couple with a kid to being a family of four. <laughs> that sounds very different. All the travel that we do, all the, that we did, all of the zipping to London and back and staying at people's houses. It's one thing when it's like the two of you and a little pod. And and then just the idea of the two of you and two pods is just a radically different thing. And I shall leave you with this. I'm sorry, it's a it's a baby wang, but I'm allowed to... <laughs> that is not a phrase that I want to be associated with the podcast. I'm uh, uh, yammering on. It's a baby yammer of a one, but I feel the, the occasion demands it. Um, the, the funny thing is when you announce it on Facebook, the first time you and your partner are pregnant... Everyone, parents and non-parents alike, chime in with, this is so wonderful, this is a fabulous thing. The second time, the people who are already parents of two kids and know about the oncoming storm feel no social compunction whatsoever to conceal their glee at how fucking hard it's going to get. So many, like the first time, you would never say to someone who wasn't yet a parent who was going to be a parent, you'd never go, it's going to be the hardest thing ever. But when they've already got one, you're like, you're in the gang now. You want it. You know what it's like. God, it's going to be so hard. Like two or three separate people said, you'll never feel rested again. So we have all of that to look forward to. So um, uh, what a lovely thing. What a lovely thing. And, and, and I tell you what, sorry, I, will finish, I definitely will finish with this. I've spent all my doing shows about kids vouchers. So I'm now in the position now where... I've got to have, I'm going to have to come up with some stuff that isn't to do with, you know, I've done the uh, journey into parenthood. I've done all that. And now I don't do anything anymore. What have I got to talk about? I don't do anything anymore. This year's show, which I can now reveal, is, uh, is on at um, 2.50. This is advance warning. 2.50 every day at the Liquid Rooms Warehouse, the big one, a 250-seater at 2.50. Um, and it's my 25, 25th Year of doing the Edinburgh Festival, 25th year. Performed at every single one of them, either a full run or a full a load of street shows, or in one or two years I just kind of bobbed up for a long weekend and did a few street shows just to keep my hand in. 
um, just to just to maintain the thing. So twenty five years worth of of performing professionally at Edinburgh. Um, I'll do some big thing about that at some point in the future. But a two fifty seater on my twenty fifth year at two fifty at the Liquid Rooms fan. No, not annex. Warehouse. Did you see what I was trying to do there? I was trying to combine the two fifty sound with warehouse. Warehouse. Never doing that again. But um, I can't wait. It's called End Of. The show is called Stuart Goldsmith, End Of. And the poster is fucking superb. It's poster season on Comedy Facebook right now. And uh, I'm kind of saving mine up because it's not ready. (laughs) Does that count as saving it up? It is not finished. Um, But I'm really so excited about it. Matt Crockett, the photographer, and Daniel England is designing it for me. And it's based on a cool concept from Mr. Jeff Evers. But... um, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about the show. But the show at the moment is... I've got... Oh, I think I'm there! No, I mean, I'm not. I'm absolutely not there. Don't hex it. But it's just that phase of, like, I'm worried that I'm not worried. Maybe there's worries ahead. We'll find out tonight. Reading show... I'm recording this on the previous Friday. Reading tonight for the tour. And in the second half, five or six new bits. I want to rest on my laurels with the old new bit preview second half. Five or six new bits. Stuff about a squirrel. Is a yeah yeah. I'm not going to go into this now. I have to go and pick the boy up. Right. Goodbye. Love you. Goodbye forever. (laughs) 